Hello and welcome to A Moment of Change, a podcast brought to you by On Purpose London. I'm Johnny Spencer. And I'm Felicity Nishaw. And in today's episode, we're talking about prisons and more specifically, stopping the cycle of reoffending. The UK has one of the highest reoffending rates in the Western world. 46% of prisoners in England and Wales go on to commit another crime within one year of release. Only 36% of people are able to find employment within two years of leaving prison. And yet if they can find a steady job, they're half as likely to reoffend. We wanted to hear from two organisations working to tackle these systemic issues who are having an incredible impact on the individuals they work with, providing training, employment, support and hope to people coming out of prison. We'll hear some of those lived experiences firsthand too. We hope you enjoy our conversation with them. Today we are joined by two brilliant guests who are both working to break the cycle of reoffending in the UK. Annie Gale is the head of the Raw Talent Programme at High Street Favourite Cook. They're famous for their frozen meals and their puddings, but many of you may not be aware of the work they're doing behind the scenes to offer employment to people who may struggle to find a job. And Callie Hamilton-Stove is the CEO of The Glass House, a social enterprise based in Kent which uses horticulture to provide training and employment opportunities to female prisoners and ex-offenders. I've been lucky enough to do some work with The Glass House over the last six months and to see firsthand the invaluable support that Callie and her team are providing to the women who work for them. Welcome, Callie and Annie. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we dive into some of the systemic issues around reoffending and how you're both working to fix these, can you introduce yourselves in your own words and, and tell us a little bit more about your organisations? Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm one of the co-founders of The Glass House, and we started it just over three years ago. My co-founder, who had been working in the women's prison system and had noticed that women were being released without safe and secure housing, and women at that time were really being released homeless. Some were given a sleeping bag and a tent. That policy has stopped, thankfully. But she really thought that we needed to address it on a higher level and really look at ways to enable women to have a successful resettlement back into society when they left prison. And so she noticed that the glass houses at the prison where she was working were not being used. And she has a real belief in the benefits of horticulture and nature in mental and physical wellness. And it's a really great industry for women to work in because it's very supportive. There's a lot of training. It's well-paid. It's well-established. So we basically put a proposal to the MOJ and they accepted it with great excitement and we started in February of 2020, and we've been going ever since. Unfortunately, COVID kind of got in the way, so we had to pivot a bit and start working on delivery business. We have now two businesses. We have an insulation and maintenance business and a smaller plant delivery business, but we still work with three women's prisons, and we have our own growing facility outside, and we have one shop and hopefully two by the end of this year. Annie, obviously you work at Cook. Can you tell us a bit more about the initiatives that you have going on there? Yes, I'd love to. First of all, thank you very much for having me. And secondly, I want to say we loved the glasshouse plants. So during lockdown, we were all sent one while we were all in our homes to nurture and look after. And we loved it. So I work for Cook, as you said, Felicity. The business has been around for about 26 years now, and it was founded by two lovely young men as they were then. So Ed and Dale set up the business 26 years ago on this founding principle that, that we would make remarkable food for people's freezer. In other words, that looks and tastes exactly like food that you make in your own home. 
And from the get-go, I think we've always known that doing good business is about a little bit more than just turning a profit for shareholders. So we are signed up, committed members of the B Corp community, and we absolutely love that. From our perspective, it's not just a bit on the side, a side hustle to do good stuff. So we talk a lot about making life-changing food. And it might sound a bit grand or a bit over the top, but actually, we try really hard to see our purpose at Cook as more than just making food. It's about nourishing relationships. It's about bringing people together around really good food. So we have a few initiatives out there in the community where if we can help to bring together our community and nourish people around a good meal, we will do that. We have something called our community kitchen. So if somebody in a community is hosting a lunch to bring together people who are on their own in their village, we will give them a discount for the food that enables it, makes it all a whole lot easier. I mean, I suppose most relevant to this conversation is the Raw Talent Programme, where we hire people specifically who are leaving prison, exactly the same as the Glasshouse, but also people who've been out of work because of addiction or homelessness or a mental health challenge or a big diagnosis, perhaps seeking refuge in this country. We offer our Raw Talent Programme, which... No doubt we'll be talking about. Just following on from that, I think it'd be really interesting to learn a little bit more about some of the systemic issues that you see and a little bit more about the cycle of reoffending. Sure. So the first thing to say when we talk about systemic challenges is that I never want to undermine the people who work there within these systems who are incredible. So many of them just doing a brilliant job amidst a big old system so I take my hat off and we love working closely with prisons and probation and work really well together the challenges though are really significant um the biggest challenge on release Callie's already alluded to this I think is having somewhere safe to live most people on leaving prison even if they did have a lovely safe happy home with great relationships when they went in aren't coming out to that same situation, or at least they've got to really work on that. And without a home, you can't get a job. And without a job, you can't get home. So there's this immediate, really stark challenge. That's probably the biggest thing, houses and a job. On top of that, in prison, you've got a population which, as it happens, is not reflective in terms of loads of other barriers. So neurodiversity educational attainment levels, addiction. It's not saying that when people are in prison, they have all these things going on. It's just that the incidence is higher. So it's really complex. A lot of them tie together. And there are so many fantastic people working in the space. However, it is really challenging. There aren't enough houses for people. There's one other thing to say, and that is that employers' attitudes are changing. And that's really good. And it's moving in the right direction. And more and more employers are opening the doors to and providing support to people who need some extra support. As it happens, if they're all on a line, all the different barriers someone might experience, having a criminal conviction is still at the far end of what employers are happy to take on and consider. It's still by far the hardest barrier to jump. Yeah, it sounds hugely complex. And I really don't envy you both having to pick apart the issues within the system. But it is great to hear that it's starting to move in the right direction. We'll dig into how you're both working towards that specifically in a second. But before then, Callie, you're working at the Glasshouse specifically with the 4% of the prison population that's female. 
Perhaps you could tell us a bit more about the issues at play there and if there's any other kind of differences or nuances that we should be aware of. I mean, because they are in the minority, there's fewer women than men in the system. There are fewer programs to address the female population generally. And with us, what we found is there are a lot of things that are going really well. There's a lot of services and a lot of treatment that the women experience whilst they're in the prison system, which really benefit them. But generally, and this is very general rule, oftentimes men have mothers, wives, someone outside who basically might be taking care of their children or holding their house together or doing something to support them. That means that when they come out, they have a little bit of a buffer there. And a lot of the women that we're working with have lost that. When they go to prison, they lose their children, they lose a lot of family, and they don't really have that to come back to when they're going back out of prison. And a lot of the women that we work with have a lot of work to do to get that back in place when they leave that maybe might not be the case with the male population quite as much. So there's that. And then there's less access to support that might be available in the male population would be the primary differences that we found. That's really interesting. And I think from my understanding, it can even be something so simple as what day you're released from prison can make a massive difference. For instance, if you're released on a Friday, the number of services that are available to you are significantly reduced if there are any at all. And you don't have that support network when you're coming out of prison. So what do you end up doing? I was reading an article the other day about a particular case where someone was released on a Friday, had nowhere to go, had no services to access, and ended up having to stay with a known associate. And they ended up having to be readmitted to prison because it was a breach of their bail. And I guess that's just one example of some of the issues that there might be within the system. And I'm really curious to know, what have you seen when you're working so directly with the different organizations that these people are interacting with? And how can we make it easier for people to transition out of prison and back into society? They're in the process, I think, of stopping Friday release dates because there have been many instances. That's just one example that you gave, but many instances where that is a challenge and people find themselves on the street for a couple of days. So I think they are in the process of making sure that doesn't happen. From my experience in working in the system, there's so many people that care a lot, but it's such a long process to make any change in the system. But I would say really focusing on open prisons and giving people a chance at the end or towards the end of their sentence to start reestablishing themselves in society before they are released to it. So allowing them to have work, to have social day release or overnight releases so they can reacquaint themselves with friends and family and they might be able to establish some relationships that will support them when they leave. Yeah, I would agree. And a lot of this is about attitudes and approaches. One thing that I've noticed over the past, I would say, two or three years is a new focus for those people running prisons on life after prison, in particular employment. And that's brilliant. So the prisons are now targeted with having a certain percentage of people in work six weeks after release. Now, that's really tough. Because historically, the job of the prison has been to keep people safely incarcerated. And then obviously, there's always been a great focus on education and helping people to become employable in that way. 
but actually targeting the prisons in partnership with probation and the private sector in particular, because depending on which stats you look at, having a job on release from prison roughly halves your chances of reoffending. So that's half the crimes and half the people in prison and half the victims out there. And we're right behind it. That's such a powerful stat that you just shared with us. And it's probably a good moment in that case for us to look at how both of you are providing employment to prisoners and ex-offenders and helping support them to reintegrate back into society, therefore break that cycle of reoffending as a result. So could you both tell us a little bit more about how the Glasshouse and Cook are working towards addressing these issues that we've been talking about? The Glass House started in, in a prison called HMPE Sutton Park, and we're still really integrated inside the prison system. Although we've had to move our growing facility out, we very much recruit from within the prison. So we try to recreate the job experience from the outside, really inside. We conduct interviews when we recruit women who are in prison and give them an offer. They accept it. So these women have what's called rattle, where they have day release to go and work outside of prison. Basically, our job is like any job they would have outside. They have to find their way there. And then they have levels that they can reach as they work for us. We usually have women who are in prison anywhere from three months to two years. We can have them in that kind of last bit of their sentence. The longer we have them, the more work we can do with them. The day they start with us, they set a resettlement plan with our head of social impact. And that will address any issue that they foresee coming up in order for them to have successful resettlement. Housing and employment are the main ones we are concerned with. But childcare or mental health or physical health issues, anything like that, we look at and we try to address in the time they're with us so that as much as possible, those things have already been dealt with and are ready for them to be released at the time when they go. Once they're released, our head of social impact and our team tries to ensure that there is somewhere immediately that is safe and secure for them to go and live. All of the women that have left us have had that and then if we can, we will hire them to work for us. We have about, at the moment, 20 clients in London that we do maintenance for. And we try to hire women to do the maintenance work if they are in the London area. If they're not, we have relationships in the plant installation and maintenance industry. We've actually worked with Annie a little bit to do some placement as well. But we try to place them in a job that they're interested and excited about. It's horticulture great, but it doesn't have to be so far. All the women that have left us have had employment within three months. I didn't know what Annie said about having a target of having everyone employed within that time frame, which is interesting because what we have found when women leave, at least the women we've worked with, they often need a little bit of a buffer. They need some time to like be with their family or their reestablish themselves and to get comfortable back in life. And it's a, it is, there are a lot of challenges that I don't think people realize a lot of anxiety during that period. And the more chance they can have experiences of being in society before they're faced with really being on their own again out in the world, the more success they will have, we found. Thanks, Callie. Annie, can you share a bit more about what you're doing at Cook? Yes. So our Raw Talent Programme, as we now call it, has been running, I suppose, officially for about eight and a half years at Cook. And during that time, we've had over 150 people join via Raw Talent. What it looks like day to day has morphed over that time, and hopefully it will carry on morphing and growing. Extra support is really key. We started off taking people on from our local open prison, so similar to East Sutton Park that Callie's been talking about, but for guys. And we offered them a little bit of extra buddying when they arrived. 
we've grown our support now such that people get some training before they start. So for us, it looks like six days of training over a period of two weeks before you even start the job. I mean, we've seen grown men crying almost every time we run this training because somebody's terrified of going into the workplace, even for two hours. So we try to make it a really safe place where everybody's welcome. Your story is safe. We're all going to be who we're going to be. John, who's in my team, shares his story, but he knows what it's like to be in prison, to be homeless, to have dealt with a class A drug addiction long term and have conquered it. He is like the ultimate, I know what you're talking about guy. He will share his story. Others will share theirs. And we can just get to a point where that's cool. That's out in the open and we're all still good. (laughs) And then people have the chance to go to the kitchen just for a couple of hours and try it and then they come out and then we start helping people to set goals these things that really matter to us as a company so we try really hard to help people understand what that looks like for them and it might be a very different set of values from for example what they've experienced in prison or what they've experienced on the streets different stuff goes disagreements happen differently actually in this context here's how we roll So that's really fun. And then we finished with this lovely finale, which anyone's welcome to come along and see. Or if others are interested in doing this kind of thing, we always open the doors and say, come along and have a brownie, see what we get up to. And I'm sure you can improve on it. But at the end of their training, they get to do a presentation. We invite guests along. It's quite scary, but they always absolutely smash it. And at the end of the training, everybody's guaranteed an interview. So they're not guaranteed a job. They are guaranteed an interview. And we tend to offer about 80% of that cohort a job. And then our target is that 65% of all new raw talents should still be working in a year, which is quite punchy considering A, the target audience, and B, that we're not particularly selective. We try and focus on support over selection. I mean, the support that you're both providing sounds completely invaluable, and it's really nice to hear more about what you're both doing. I've been lucky enough to meet some of the women who are working for the Glass House and who've gone through the programme support that you're offering. And I've read some of the stories of people on Cook's Raw Talent programme too. And I think both really bring to life the, the depth of the impact that you're having. So obviously I'm conscious of protecting people's privacy, but could you perhaps tell us a little bit more about how you've seen that that support that you provide change people's lives? There are a lot of individual stories that are really powerful. I think the quotes from the women and, the, and what the women say is so much more powerful than what I say. But the first cohort we had, which was very tricky during COVID, but the women that we worked with found it to be incredibly comforting during COVID. As soon as we could, we found a place for them to come and work outside. And that's our shop in Cranbrook. And the women who came and did that, it had been such an intense period. We opened the shop to the public in this smallish British town in Kent. People came in and were so welcoming and so kind to them and very respectful, asking them advice on plants and buying plants. And at the end of that week, our first week of trading, the women just couldn't believe. They expected everyone to stare at them. They expected everyone to ask them about the crime or to look at them in a different way. And they said that it was an incredible um kind of incentive and award that they realized they didn't have prison written on their forehead. They didn't have to hide when they went out into the world because people wouldn't judge them. And it really gave them a lot of freedom and a lot of inspiration and a lot of confidence to really move forward into the next stage of their life. And I think that that aspect of being around people 
in that really tricky situation when you're leaving prison and you're worried about what's going to happen and being around people who are supporting you. And we had one woman who came to us and she really didn't want to move back to where she was from because her family and the people that she was in touch with were not supportive of a healthy lifestyle. She really felt like she couldn't return and be successful, but she'd been assigned her probation officer there and that couldn't change. It was really difficult for her to change that through the system. And so when she came to us, it was the first thing that we identified that we could help her the most with is help her find a way not to return there, to start a new life somewhere else. And in order to do that, she needed to have a job. And if once she had a job in another location, they would assign her a probation officer in this new place. And so it became a big part of what we did with her resettlement program was finding her work. And she ended up going into kind of hard landscaping and construction. And we helped her get some health and safety cards and some certifications she needed to do that. And then believe me, she's an amazing worker. She was incredible. And so she didn't actually have a trouble finding the job. And she's now got her own apartment. She's still working for the same construction company, but she's moved up two levels in a year. And she's clean. She's healthy. She's living a really good life. And we're so proud of her. I mean, those kinds of stories are amazing too, where you really have to let someone start over. So that really allows them to feel confident about moving forward. It is so incredibly powerful. Yeah, I completely agree, Kelly. I think there's something around the values that we hold in society about what prison means and what it's used for. And I think for a lot of people, traditionally, what prison really means is punishment. And actually what we need to do is shift that dial and that perception to rehabilitate. Because ultimately, if people come out and that stigma is attached to them, they feel less encouraged or less open and less empowered to go and seek out help when they need it, mostly for fear of that judgment. And ultimately, that can lead to people making decisions that, you know, cause them to reoffend, which is a massive shame for not only them, but for wider society. Annie, I would love for you to feed in on the impact that this sort of has on the individual and on society and some of the work that you're doing at Cook to address that. Yeah, so in terms of impact of this sort of thing, realising that we're relatively just doing a small thing and we're not doing it perfectly, but we're doing a little thing. In terms of the impact on society, employment cost, I believe, last year, £1.23 billion. It cost 32000 just to keep someone in prison for a year. I heard it said recently, and this is so true, that when one person gets a job, the whole family gets a job. When I talk to people time and time again, I say to them, why do you want this job? And they'll so often say, I want to make my mum proud. I want to show my kids I can be a proper dad. The job is important because we all need to pay our bills and we all want to contribute to our society, but really the impact on that person and their family and their future generations and the ripples around that one person, of that person having a job, it is systemic change. So we love our Royal Talent Programme. We're proud of it. We're proud to come to work because of it. We've had some fantastic people join Cook through the Royal Talent Programme. We found some of the really bright, shining stars. They come alive through having a work, and you can really see that. Annie introduced us to Del and John, two people who have come through Cook's Raw Talent Programme, to hear firsthand how it's changed their lives and what they hope for the future. Del, could you just give us an introduction and tell us a little bit more about your story, please? Okay, my name's Derek Barrett. I come through the Shore Trust, ex-prisoner. 10 years behind the door, 
coming out of prison, didn't think there was any hope, didn't have anywhere to turn, went into a mental health breakdown, yeah. Two and a half years be, behind the door in the flat. Obviously, I was on probation. I said, I really need to get back into work. I was introduced to John, yeah, and then I started speaking to John. I was still in the flat, never actually come out of my flat at this time. So I started to interact with John, yeah, and gradually we were doing everything mostly on the phone. And then he said, look, let's do this face-to-face. Now, gradually, I started to come out of the flat, went through the program, yeah, got accepted, come into Cooks. What's it done for me? Changed my life completely. No reoffending. Please not knock it on my door no more. <laughs> you know, my own flat, my own car, book holidays when I want to book holidays, go where I want to go. I should have done something like Cooks years ago. I'm here now. I've done the journey. Would I ever leave? No, this is me now. Cooks has offered me everything I could possibly ask for. And to say they've took me on as an ex-fender, not a lot of companies would even look at me and think, you've just come from prison, we ain't got no time for you, and we're not even going to entertain you. But it was different with Cooks, yeah? So I'm one of them guys who believe that everyone's entitled to a second chance, regardless of where you've come from. And John, you've been with Cook for a little while now, haven't you? Could you tell us a little bit more about your journey and how you got to where you are today? Yeah, for me, so I was somebody, I lived a chaotic lifestyle. I was addicted to heroin and crack cocaine at a young age, which consumed me with crime and violence. I was desensitised from society. I was an island all by myself. I rebelled against authority. And drugs, that class A drugs has got the ability to hide your true identity. So I was lost. I've spent over 10 years in prisons all over the country through my misbehaviour that kept moving me around. Relationships with my family, with my parents and that. There was tough love at the time, but, but I was just, yeah, they didn't want to see me. That's how bad, that's how violent I was. I had two murder attempts on my life and I found myself in a prison cell contemplating, what am I doing with my life? I remember I was tapping into my moral compass. I was like, this is not it. This is not it. I shouldn't be here. Yeah, but I was caught up in that cycle for so long. Uh, I come out of prison at the age of 31. So I come out, I moved to Medway. At this point, I was still on methadone, heroin, crack, on everything you can think of. And then I'll become homeless. Caring Hands is a homeless centre in Medway. And I was using that. They feed 250 meals a day. And, you know, they really look after people. I end up volunteering for that place. I ended up going to church. I ended up encountering Christ. My life's been like been changed 10 years ago. I started praying. A beautiful woman come along. I've been married eight years now. I've got a four-year-old little boy. Karen Hands is Cook's charity. So we at Cook send food every two weeks, like a few crates to Karen Hands and help feed the homeless in their community in Chatham. So I was the first person to get a job at Cook out of Karen Hands. And I come through on the Raw Talent Programme. That was eight years ago that I actually come to cook. And for me, coming into cook, I was like, oh, it's too good to be true. What's happening here? Are they going to look at my past and start judging my, what I've been up to? But I was so wrong. So I come in, bear in mind, I was confused. So I was numb and I was pushing a lot of help away. But, but cook was a place where I could come and be part of something, yeah, something great something amazing which was which allowed me to start to step into leadership on a personal level cook is really powerful they're all about investing it's collaboratively helping everyone step into their potential 
And it's a good business like that to really develop people and grow people to go on to success. And then for the last three years, I've been working on the Raw Talent team with Annie and Sarah. So I get the privilege of going to prisons, do job fairs, recovery talks, been in the parliament, doing business with like-minded people. So I recruit people with barriers to employment, people who's had crazy lifestyles. And I can relate with that because I've been there and I've done it. So I recruit these, we train them up with a guaranteed job interview at the end of it, with a selected job offers. And then I do like mentorship and coaching. I sit with them once a week just to support them, help them. We set some goals. We can review it. So I get the privilege firsthand to see people like Dell and other people go through what I went through and benefit from a business. And you've got to remember, you've got to remember, Cookie values is family. Yeah. And if you haven't got family on the outside, you're guaranteed to have family inside of Cooks. So when I say family, people you can come and you can talk to, people you can sit down and have a meal with. You might not have all this on the outside, but you've definitely got it here. You've got people who care about you. People will actually take the time out and show you that, yeah, we've got love for you. Yeah, regardless of anything. I think you're going to find a lot of people when they first come out of prison, they don't actually know which way to turn. They don't know who to trust. And I think if you can gain the trust over someone, you can bring them out of their shell, yeah, and get them to where you, you want to get them. I'm not saying we're not genius when we come out of prison. We've been through a hard time in prison, yeah. So a little trust will help a prisoner, yeah. For me, it's, it's about understanding. And I think I'm seeing lots of organisations doing the same thing. It's about speaking about it, having these conversations and letting people hear this stuff. Anybody could have made a mistake and went down the wrong path. That's where you can make some bad choices, mixed with the wrong crowd. And then you can become, like for me, for example, isolated. And the research shows that when there's solitary confinement, when you're isolated from, from society, from family, from people, the research actually shows it can um, reduce your, uh, your way of thinking, mental health, we know this, and it can stop you from dealing with stress as well. You can't really deal with stress is good. And he's sort of been my teacher. Like I never went to school. I didn't learn. So she's been my teacher and she's started to develop me. As I started to work with her over the last few years, she's helped me. She's been patient. She's been understanding. And it's been, probably been sometimes where I've actually challenged her in, like, probably in a wrong way and she's been patient with that. But it's about individuals. It's about yeah. these people are real people. And when we can come alongside these people who haven't got a massive understanding, probably don't even realise that they're doing this race wrong. When we come along these people and we help them and we start to help them look, have a different perspective, start to walk with them, that's when you know you start to see change. That's when you start to see genuine people. So I would say more companies to look at people just because you come from a bad background doesn't always mean to say you're that bad penny. There's room to change. If the individual person wants to change, there's opportunities. But I believe that more companies like Cork should look at people and say to themselves, okay, he's an ex-offender, he's come from prison, yeah, but he still deserves a chance. And I like to say it like this. We, all of us, all human beings, we've got something. I call it either gold or you can call it an orange seed. An orange seed has got so much potential to be a tree given over time and over over a little bit more time to be many a trees lots of trees an yeah. orchard and the future of that seed 
is not ahead of it. The future is trapped inside of that seed. But that seed is put anywhere. It's just going to crack open and die. But if that seed is put in the right soil, in the right environment, soil being watered, light, being nurtured, that can grow to fruition to something which is wonderful, where people all around the world are eating from it and benefiting from it, yeah? And it's the same with human beings in life. It's recognising that seed that you've got, that greatness, that gold that you're carrying as an individual. Really nice to zoom in and be reminded of the individuals and how transformative this can be. Finishing on that kind of hopeful, optimistic note, Kali, could you perhaps share a bit more about your vision of how you want to grow the impact and the work that you're doing at The Glass House? And even perhaps how you envisage a wider societal shift and a transformed system that, that you're working within. There are two things that I have in my vision, but I just want to say that I didn't picture it being like this. Like the idea originally was just like seed of an idea to help women by ensuring that they had the support they needed for resettlement and giving them a job, giving them a skill and some work experience as well. The more we've done it over the last couple of years, the more we realized that like industries have potential to help in this area. And so we have taken this kind of horticultural industry and we've brought it into prisons. And our objective is to train women in that area. And the industry is so supportive of it, we found. We have really great relationships with a lot of the leaders in the industry, Ambius, Nurture, Plantaria. They are really supportive of what we're doing. And they are looking for people who want this job. They need employees as well. And the fact that our women have had experience working in the area and are really highly trained by the time they come to them for an interview has been an amazing kind of revelation that an industry can go in and get involved with this population and also serve their own purposes. It's a really exciting discovery, I think, for the industry. And I think there are other industries that could do the same thing, like Cook. I hope that other industries will do this. And I hope that other industries will look at helping people to develop who are really very vulnerable and very disadvantaged as an opportunity for themselves as well as those people. But for us, I really hope that we can move into kind of a more national level. I'd really like to be in every women's prison. I'd like for every woman to have the opportunity to apply to work with us and to learn about the benefits of working with nature and plants mentally and physically and about this great industry that they could work in for the long term and would give them stability and support and let them really live a healthy, happy life. Annie, I'm really curious to know what your take is following on from what Callie's just said about what she hopes for the future and how you think Cook plays a part in what you'd like to see. I think that word hope is really important. And it's starting to be talked about a lot in prisons. And it is so powerful. I would also love to work towards there being no barriers to work. Wouldn't that be amazing if every single person who wanted to work and could work was able to because the right support was in place somewhere? It would also be great to see that businesses or profitable entities and the public sector, all of us as employers, were doing what we do with that thing of we want to make the place a bit better than we found it. We want to help the people leave our interactions a little better than we found them. If that was normal, not just a tag on, that would be amazing. 
I feel like the key is just look at that one person in front of you and see them as a person. It's not about numbers and it's not even about the whole great big system all the time. Yes, there are some things we can change and we really should and we should put pressure and we should make a difference. And sometimes we should just crack on and do it. So if we treat each person as an individual human being, a fellow human being, exactly the same as anybody else, a different background, a different story, which is all valid, but it doesn't define the future, that would be the dream. If we could just treat each other like human beings. If someone needs a bit of help, we give it. And if I need a bit of help, I know where to find it. That would be good. (laughs) Sounds very simple, but it's not easy. And on that note, thank you both so much, Annie and Callie, for joining us. We absolutely love talking to you today and hearing about what you're doing at the Glass House and Cook. So thank you. Thank you. Big thank you from us as well. It's just been lovely to hear Kelly's stories and it's very exciting. And if anyone would like to come and see us at Cook and see what we get up to, like I say, the door is open. Thank you for listening to this episode of A Moment of Change. If you want to find out more about the brilliant work that Cook and The Glass House are doing, then please do check out both of their websites. And a final thank you to our guests, Callie and Annie, and John and Del for sharing their stories and perspectives throughout this episode. Connect with us at On Purpose to learn more about the fantastic work our associates and our placement hosts are doing across the social and environmental impact sectors. You can find us at onpurpose.org as well as on all of your favourite social media channels. We look forward to having you back for a future episode.